Welcome to the Gridiron Goodies Podcast, where frustration meets obligation. I am your host, Stephen Scott, and on today's episode, I will recap all of the remaining games from Week 5. Despite being let down by my home team yet again, this was a great slate of games. Each window had something to enjoy. I'll start off with the early bird special, Jaguars and the Bills in London. As predicted in the preview, you're welcome, the Jags came away with this one, 25-20. The broadcast panned over to a young Jags fan holding a sign that read, There is only enough room for one Josh Allen in London. Go Jags! This type of stuff is exactly the reason why I picked them to win. They just have a different type of confidence when they are over there even going for a two-point conversion after their first touchdown to open up the game. Bill's Mafia showed up in droves for this one, and I was definitely wrong about the home team thing, but there were plenty of Duval fans there as well. Jacksonville looked dominant for most of this game, the first half for sure. It definitely wasn't pretty, however, but football doesn't necessarily need to be. They squandered multiple red zone trips with continuous mistakes, dumb penalties, and two Trevor Lawrence fumbles that led to a lot of nada. They should have been up big at halftime, but instead they let the Bills hang around and almost complete an improbable comeback in the fourth quarter. Jet lag and time zone change played seemingly a huge role. The Bills looked out of it until roughly midway through the fourth quarter. They committed more penalties than usual, and it seems like a Bills player went down and stayed down after almost every play. Matt Milano did go down early in the first quarter, and sadly, looks like he won't return for the year. With a ton of injuries on defense coming into this game, piling up during, and Von Miller playing limited snaps, A.J. Epinesa was the leader in the pass rush department, coming away with two of the team's five sacks total. The secondary had all sorts of problems trying to handle Calvin Ridley, who continues to look like a stud on this Jags team. He left the game with 122 yards on seven receptions and was even involved in the running game twice, providing more morale than yards. Zay Jones is looking to be like one of Trevor Lawrence's favorite red zone targets, making a great catch in the back of the end zone, coming away with a lone passing touchdown of the day for them. I'm going to be tracking this for my fantasy teams. He may be a good flex option. During the first few drives, Jacksonville's running game looked to be in trouble. They kept trying to force ETN up the middle, resulting in Ed Oliver having a quick snack. Great coaching led to them getting ETN on the outside, where he was an absolute monster and could not be stopped, especially towards the end of the game, where he broke free and salted the game away with a long touchdown run. Bill's quarterback, Josh Allen, had some really good plays late in the fourth quarter to Stephon Diggs and Gabe Davis who kept his scoring streak alive and now sits at four straight games. It was a little too late, and they came up short as a result. The Bills' offense really couldn't get anything going until the last few drives of the game. Jet lag may end up being the cop-out for this one, but I think the Jaguars' defense deserves some kudos. It was Darius Williams who ended up coming away with an interception on an Allen deep bomb, not Cisco as I predicted. He was all over the field in pass coverage. Same goes to Rayshon Jenkins, who seemed to have figured out teleportation. Foyer Luikan kept doing Foyer things and disrupted the Bills' attempt at some sort of running game. Overall, 
I came away feeling like the Jaguars are still a fun team to watch and hopefully will continue to do so. The injury to Milano is a huge problem for the Bills. However, they're really well coached and have a great opportunity for a bounce back game against the Giants next week. Next, we'll stick with another team from America's dick. The Miami Dolphins swam circles around the New York Giants 31 to 16. The only reason this score looks respectable is because Tua felt bad for the Giants and tossed them a touchdown too. The Dolphins' offensive weapons, Mostert, Waddle, Achan, and OG speed freak Tyreek Hill all took turns trying to reach the speed of sound and scoring while doing so. This team is so well coached and has so many offensive weapons, it's really hard to see them losing many games this year. Their rematch with the Bills at the end of the season is going to be awesome to watch. Next, we have the Detroit Lions absolutely dismantling the Carolina Panthers, 42-24. Bryce Young continues to look like the third best quarterback in this past draft, behind C.J. Stroud and Anthony Richardson, respectively. He makes bad decisions, and he makes them too late. It led to two picks in this matchup, one of which was arguably the most athletic play of the season in a J.J. Watt-esque interception by Aiden Hutchinson. If you haven't seen it, you need to check it out. Bryce Young can take all the blame, however. The Detroit defense is stacked with monsters from under the bed and halted any form of an attempt at an offense by the Panthers. They couldn't run, pass, or think straight without this defense creating nightmares. Adam Thielen had a pretty good day on paper, racking up over 100 yards on 11 catches and a touchdown, but most of this came way too late. The Detroit offense maintains their watchability with a fun trick play resulting in one of Sam Laporta's two touchdowns. Goff remains a steady hand, ending this one with 236 yards, three passing touchdowns, and one rushing. Not to be overshadowed, the Lions' running game continues to be the star. They scored three times on the ground. David Montgomery had another big day going over 100 yards on 19 carries and one of those rushing touchdowns. The remaining going to Hard Knocks homie, Craig Reynolds. The defense is fun. The offense is fun. Shit, their kicker even wears number 36, which is also fun. Overall, the Lions are one of the most exciting teams to watch this year, and good things seem to be over the horizon. Not so much, however, for the Panthers. Next, we have the how the hell did this score end up looking normal, 17-10, Steelers' victory over the visiting team Baltimore Ravens. In typical Steelers fashion, great defense and special teams is what led to the win here. They let Justice Hill who looked really good in the first half of this game, seemingly walk right in for a touchdown early on, but tightened things up after that. The Ravens had an opportunity to go up by two touchdowns, but a typically sure-handed Mark Andrews dropped a touchdown pass in the end zone, followed immediately by yet another drop touchdown pass by Rashad Bateman, resulting in a field goal. Miles Killebrew had a well-timed pump block, resulting in a safety, but narrowly ended in a touchdown. This play, alongside T.J. Watt and the defensive performance, 
seemed to be the momentum changer for the Steelers. A couple field goals and a safety gets the Steelers to 8 and the Ravens were at 10, and here it would stay for the majority of the game. The Ravens did a pretty good job of holding Najee Harris to under 40 yards, but had little answers for Jalen Warren. While solid on the ground, he continues to be an underrated receiving option out of the backfield. Ken Pickett had a pretty decent game. The Steelers threw the ball more than I expected, and it was a welcomed change. Matt Canada deserves some praise here. The Pickett to Pickens connection was huge in this one. He made some awesome contested sideline catches to move the sticks on third and long several times and brought in the go-ahead touchdown at the end. As much as I'd like to credit the Steelers' defense for this win, it wasn't for a lack of opportunities by the Ravens. They had plenty of chances to run the score up, but Lamar Jackson made a bad decision and threw a really bad interception in the red zone. When Jackson put the ball where it needed to go, the receivers wouldn't bring them in. They just looked off as a team, especially on the offensive side of the ball. This was one of those defensive slog fests where both teams took turns landing body blows before landing a haymaker at the end. The difference being, the Ravens let Pickens get his. Meanwhile, TJ Watt and Alice Highsmith combined for a game-ending sack fumble recovery. The Ravens never got a chance to even swing. I told you in the preview that you cannot count out TJ Watt and Mike Tomlin, especially at home. I hope you took my advice and sprinkled a little cash on this one. I know I did. Thanks, Steelers. Next, we have the Colts squeaking by 23-16 at home against the Tennessee Titans. Multiple times in the past, and even on this episode, I've stated that Anthony Richardson looks like a star in the making. He's somewhere in between a Cam Newton and a Josh Allen. He's an obvious threat on the ground, but at times, when his accuracy issues don't pop up, he looks great in the past game as well. The problem here is that he's been knocked out of games twice so far, including this one, and we're only five games in. I don't know how sustainable this is. Bringing in Gardner Minshew was a really smart move by the Colts' front office. Minshew took over in this game and did exactly what was needed from him. He was careful with the ball and did a great job just turning around and handing it off to his running backs. The typically stout in the running game, Titans defense, had little answers against this rushing attack of the Colts. Zach Moss ran wild, totaling for 165 yards on 23 carries and 2 touchdowns. Jonathan Taylor made his first appearance of the year, only rushing for 18 yards on 6 carries. It wasn't great for the stat book or my fantasy team, but he looked pretty good on the limited carries he had. I'm glad he's back, and this Colts rushing game is going to be hard to stop with both of these guys at 100% in the backfield. Should be fun to watch moving forward. Derrick Henry and the Titans, however, had minimal success in their running game. Taji Spears looked like a great change of pace back, however. He had a rushing touchdown and was a major threat as a receiver as well. We finally had a big DeAndre Hopkins game who caught 8 passes for 140 yards, and he almost hauled in a touchdown pass from King Henry, but it had a little too much zip on it. The Titans had a chance to win this one at the end, but Ryan Tannehill threw a really bad pass to Julian Blackman that ended the chances of that happening. Overall, this Colts team is pretty fun to watch, and I'm going to be monitoring the status of Anthony Richardson all week. I'm hoping his injury wasn't serious, 
and we get to see this young team figure things out together. Even if he's out for a bit, they should be in good hands with Minshew until his return. Next, we have the Houstons falling just short to the Atlanta Super Troopers, 21-19. I was so damn close to hitting a ridiculous nine-leg parlay and maybe the first real vacation of my life, but it was crushed by the ending of this game. If you listened to my preview episode, I said the Falcons were allergic to passing the ball. It seemed that they took their medicine before this game. They didn't even break 100 yards rushing as a team. Ritter was slinging the ball around and finally using those high-end draft pick receivers. He went for over 300 yards to the air, one passing touchdown and one rushing touchdown. Kyle Pitts, Jonu Smith, and Drake London, who even threw a pass, led the passing attack, combining for almost 250 yards. But it was an amazing B. John Robinson one-handed catch that got the only passing touchdown. Much like the Aiden Hutchinson play, this one deserves a rewatch if you haven't seen it. For the Texans, C.J. Stroud had a pretty average game, throwing for 250 yards and one touchdown pass to Dalton Schultz. Nico Collins had a rough day compared to his last game and ended the day with three catches for 40 yards. Damian Pierce busted out a couple big runs but was bottled up for the majority of this game. Atlanta's defense did a great job. Now I have a short tangent to go on in this one. The announcers kept pronouncing Falcons' players' names differently than I've heard in the past. Now, I've been aware of the Bijan Bajan thing. The player himself told us how he pronounces his own name. He said, quote, I go by Bajan, but I call myself Bijan. So I'm going to stick with Bijan. That one is well known. However, this Janu Smith versus Janu Smith thing is new to me. I'm going to stick to the way... I've always said it, but if I am pronouncing it incorrectly, someone please let me know. I don't want to be disrespectful unintentionally. Any disrespect I do throw is typically intentional. I don't have any more to discuss in this game. Good job Falcons, bad job Texans. Next one's going to be a quickie. The Saints got right in this game against the Patriots in Foxyland. The Saints scored 34 points, and the Patriots didn't leave the parking lot. As a Broncos fan, I never enjoy having to sit through a Patriots game. This one felt pretty good, however. I think the Bill vs. Brady debate is done, just like Bill will be in New England at the end of this year, maybe even sooner. There were a total of 15 punts in this game. They punted on me, so I'm punting on them. I'm going to take a quick break, and when I return, I will hit the remaining afternoon slate of games. Welcome back. Up next, we have a way more competitive game. The Eagles beat the Rams 23-14. Down 14-10 with the ball on the Rams' one-yard line, the Eagles had a decision to make with two seconds left on the clock right before halftime. Take the field goal or try for the touchdown. The decision was simple. Run the play, no one can stop. So of course, they tush-pushed their way to 7 points and ultimately the victory. Jalen Hurts was great again in this game. He threw for 300 yards, one passing touchdown, and one rushing. A.J. Brown had another big day going for 127 yards on 6 catches. 
They had yet another 100-plus yard receiver with tight end Dallas Goddard hauling in eight catches and rumbling for 117 yards and a touchdown. While the passing game was running on all cylinders, it was the rushing attack that beat the Rams into submission. The team ran for 159 yards, 72 of which came from Jalen Hurts on 15 carries, and DeAndre Swift with 70 yards on 17 carries. Kenneth Gainwell got in on the action with 7 carries for 17 yards. That's 39 rushing attempts total, one more than Jalen Hurts had in passing attempts with 38. This team wants to be physical up front and wear you down. On defense, the equally physical defensive line came away with four sacks. Jalen Carter and Hassan Reddick split with two each, with Reddick's coming on back-to-back -back plays to close out the game. The Rams' offense had a great start to the game, but struggled to put up points in the second half. Cooper Cup ended the game with 118 yards on eight catches in his return from injury. Puka Nakua continued to be a threat with 71 yards on seven catches and a touchdown. Their running game was decent with Kyron Williams averaging 4.1 yards per carry, but only on 13 attempts. Time of possession was a big factor here. The Eagles had the ball for nearly two-thirds of the game. It's hard to score when they're playing keep away like that. Next, the Bengals are back on track after beating the Arizona Cardinals 34-20. I complained in the last episode that the short passing game Burrow was being forced into was hard to watch. Well, the Bengals offense, Jamar Chase, and Joe Burrow in particular, looked like their old selves. Joe Burrow ended the day with over 300 yards passing and three touchdowns, the first of which was off of a scramble from pressure, hitting Chase in the back of the end zone. It was the second red zone trip that sealed it for me, though. Joe Burrow tried to escape a collapsing pocket with jukes, spins, and a hurdle, eventually going down, but showing the world he's back and that that calf injury seems not to be bothering him as much, which is a great sign for all football fans. Jamar Chase ended his monster day with nearly 200 yards on 15 catches for three touchdowns, the second of which was a 63-yard bomb. Aside from a weird series of events right before halftime, Joe Mixon had a great day. He was stopped on a fourth and goal attempt, immediately followed by a Cam Taylor Britt pick six, so it all worked out. His day ended with 81 yards on 25 carries. The Cardinals' rushing attack looked pretty good as well. As a team, they racked up 142 yards, menage a trois style, between James Conner, who left the game early due to a knee injury, and Mari Demarcado, who scored the only rushing touchdown, and Rondale Moore. Most of his rushing yardage came from a really cool-looking fake reverse play, leading to a big 41-yard gain. James Conner kept lobbying to get back into the game, so I expect his knee injury to not be a serious one. Aside from a beautiful touchdown pass from Josh Dobbs to Hollywood Brown, the Cardinals' passing game really couldn't get much going. Despite that, this Arizona team shows heart, and I could definitely see them playing a spoiler role for playoff hopeful teams towards the end of the season. Overall, I came away with this game happy to see the Bengals as they should be. I expect them to continue to push their way to the top of the AFC North. Next, we have a game I am ashamed to discuss. 
the Broncos fell just short to the visiting Jets, 31-21. Now, in my preview episode, I said, I would like to see Mims get more touches. Well, what did he do with those touches? He fumbled twice, one muffed punt and one on a reverse attempt, both of which ended in points for the visitors. I said Brees Hall might have a big day since we haven't been able to stop the run since essentially the Super Bowl year. What happened? Brees Hall ran for almost 200 yards and a touchdown. I said Russell Wilson wasn't the problem. What did he do? Took a ridiculous intentional grounding penalty in his own end zone, resulting in a safety. All while, he had a wide-ass open Samaji Pirine standing 7 yards directly in front of him. But hey, everyone makes mistakes, right? One mistake isn't too bad, though. Well, what if you add yet another one? Russell Wilson, trying to do much on a game-tying or maybe even winning drive at the end, scrambles to his left from a collapsing pocket on the right. He's chased down from behind by Quincy Williams and fumbles the ball, setting up a Bryce Hall scoop and score, sticking the final nail directly into my heart and straight into our coffin for the game and most likely for the season. The Jets didn't beat us. We beat us. I love my city and I love my team, but this combination of roster, coaches, and front office just is not working. I want to see them blow this shit show up, get Simmons on a contending team, and trade whoever, wherever, for whatever. I was never happy with the Sean Payton hiring, mostly because of the Bounty Gate thing, but also because I'm so sick of these dinosaur-minded coaches just getting recycled every offseason. I like to watch the Dolphins and I like to watch the Niners because they are led by coaching staffs that can adapt and aren't adverse to changes. We can't go back in time and hire Kyle Shanahan or Mike McDaniel, but let's not overlook any more opportunities to get younger minds involved with our staff. Run, run, pass, punt is getting fucking old, and so the fuck am I. This city and its fan base have always held the Broncos to a higher standard than the majority of the teams around the league. Year in and year out, we have always been, at the very least, competitive, and typically in the mix for the playoffs. It's been close to a decade since I've gone into watching a Broncos game, just hoping we don't absolutely embarrass ourselves. What has this team done to our minds? That's not acceptable any longer. This is some Browns bullshit. Voices need to get louder around here. Will the real Peyton please stand up and round up all of these imitators? We miss you, Sheriff. On to a game that won't give me an aneurysm. Chiefs stack another win against the Vikings 27-20. Travis Kelsey went down in this game before halftime with what appeared to be a very serious non-contact injury. However, he returned later in the third quarter to snag a touchdown. Even though he missed some time, he still led the team in receiving with 67 yards on 10 catches. The first play of the game was a Vikings fumble, Chiefs recovery. Good teams find a way to turn takeaways into points. That's exactly what the Chiefs did. Pacheco hammered in a goal line touchdown and finished the day with 55 yards on 16 carries. Mahomes did a great job, as usual, spreading the ball around. He threw to 10 different receivers and finished the day with almost 300 yards, 
two touchdowns, and zero interceptions. I think their passing game is just fine. The defense looked really good. Chris Jones and Mike Dana brought pressure up the middle and both recorded a sack. Leo Chennault had one off of the edge. LeJerry Sneed, aside from yet another favorable call from the refs, had a pretty good day, especially considering the caliber of receivers he faced. Justin Jefferson was held to only 28 yards on three catches and left the game with an injury in the fourth quarter. The majority of Kirk Cousins' 284 passing yards came from short to intermediate passes. The Chiefs' secondary did a good job of limiting the big plays. The Vikings had a really hard time getting much going on the ground. This seems to be one of the biggest surprises to me. It used to be that you could run on the Chiefs. Seems like those days are numbered. The Chiefs look poised to yet again come away top of the AFC West. The Vikings, especially if this Jefferson injury keeps him away for any amount of time, their future could look a little bit of a mess. Next, we'll go over the stomping the Cowboys took from the home team 49ers, 42-10. to The Cowboys look to be in a completely different tier than the Niners yet again. But it's worse than that. They've been exposed as an overrated team. All of their games this year up until this point were against really bad teams, possibly the worst teams in the NFL this year. And they lost to one of those. Good teams don't lose to bad ones. If you aren't a good team, then by default, you are a bad one. The NFC is a lot more competitive than I expected coming into the season. And if this team isn't careful, they might not even make the playoffs. This game was all about the Niners. Their defense dominated with a ton of pressure, four sacks, three interceptions, a forced fumble, and held the Cowboys offense to less than 200 total yards. Fred Warner was all over the place. He had eight tackles, one sack, one interception, and a massive forced fumble that I'm now deeming the Warner windup. Move over, peanut punch. The offense was amazing. Brock Purdy is by far the most underrated quarterback in the league. That narrative needs a change. They say he's a product of Shanahan's mind. This whole, his coach puts him at an advantageous position, therefore he's a mediocre quarterback. That nonsense needs to stop. Isn't that what a great coach is supposed to do? Isn't that exactly how Belichick got his GOAT moniker? Now, I'm not comparing Purdy to Brady as players, but their situations are way too similar to ignore. I think he is the perfect quarterback to lead this team, and it seems like all his teammates would agree. Some notable performances to mention would be Kittle's three-touchdown day. I told you in the preview, he was going to wake up and choose violence, and he sure did. Christian McCaffrey scored a touchdown to keep his scoring streak alive. Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel continued to do Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel things. Even Kyle Huszczyk got in on the action and snagged a pass for a touchdown. This team looks as close to perfect as you can get. I honestly can't find any weaknesses on this team from top to bottom. As long as they stay healthy, they have to be the favorites to win the Super Bowl this year. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and lay some cheese on that trap. This next game brings me zero joy to discuss, as I am to present you 
a Raiders victory 17-13 over the visiting Green Bay Packers. This one should be quick. The Packers look like maybe Jordan Love and his three-interception night might not be the answer at quarterback that they thought he was. Good news is, they might have a high draft pick to take a chance on someone new. A.J. Dillon had a pretty cool drive where they literally just handed him the ball every play, looked unstoppable, and eventually scored. Not too sure why they didn't just stick to that strategy. Seems like a better alternative to turning the ball over or missing a kick every possession. As much as it pains me to say this, Max Crosby is a game wrecker. I think he single-handedly won this game for the floundering Raiders offense. Josh McDaniels continues to make questionable decisions, and Devontae Adams looks like a trade candidate. Josh Jacobs was that offense's only saving grace, who looks like the Josh Jacobs of last year. Both of these teams are bad, and will end up towards the bottom of their divisions. What a waste of a Monday night. Outside of some duds in primetime, this was a great week of football. The December 3 game between the Niners and the Eagles is now the most anticipated game of the year for me, and most likely you too. I cannot wait for that matchup. Until then, hopefully whatever team you root for can bring you some joy. Thank you for joining me on today's episode. I hope you have a great rest of the day. Until next time.